Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today's Tuesday, January 2nd, day 88 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borshel Dan here with our Zman Yisrael editor, Birenit Gorin, and legal reporter, Jeremy Sharon. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Good morning, Amanda. We will dedicate this edition to the groundbreaking high court ruling, which yesterday negated the only piece of judicial overhaul legislation that was made into law, an amendment to basic law, the judiciary, commonly known as the reasonableness law. We'll hear what the full bench of 15 justices decided, how the decision is received in Israel and where the war-torn country goes from here. All this and more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Five rockets were fired from Syria at northern Israel last night, and the IDF confirmed this morning that it struck back, hitting Syrian infrastructure. Israeli fighter jets also struck Hezbollah targets in Lebanon after missiles were fired at the northern Israeli community of Shlomi. In Gaza, Navy forces and ground troops identified Hamas operatives planting explosive devices along the coast and nearby buildings, after which the Air Force, the Navy, and ground operatives struck and killed the operatives and destroyed the explosive devices. The IDF said Sunday it was beginning to release five brigades from combat in Gaza as the military increasingly gains control on the ground. On Monday, Israeli military officials said that they were preparing for residents of some Gaza border communities that have largely been empty since October 7th to begin returning home soon. Now let's turn to the bombshell 250,000 word decision by the High Court to overturn the reasonableness law. So to remind our listeners, the hearing took place in September, September 12th, when the entire bench, all 15 judges, sat together on the issue. It is the first time in Israeli history that they have sat together. So like the judicial overhaul itself, the law is a measure to curb the court's ability to invoke reasonability, reasonableness as a legal standard when judging cases. So Jeremy... I, I hope I have that right, first of all. And was the eight to seven vote split along predicted lines? Yes, the the justices voting to strike down the law were largely the more liberal and uh, centrist judges. And the judges voting to uh, uphold the law, not strike it down, were in the main pretty much the, the conservative justices, justices of the court. But the 
eight to seven split doesn't exactly tell the whole story because among the seven justices who who did not want to strike the the law down were three justices who who, who were very critical of the law and said that they, they should uh, the, a judicial tool of interpretation should be used to read the law more narrowly in order to ha- have it apply more narrowly and therefore it would not annul in total the use of the judicial standard of uh, reasonableness and so the result of the ruling even though there's a narrow majority for striking down the law there was a much larger majority which was very displeased with the law and and, and thinks that it should have been modified in in some manner so it was eight to seven to strike down the law and then there was at least something like 12 out of 15 justices who said that the court should be able to perform judicial review. Is that correct? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, that's the really critical impact. And that will be the critical legacy of this ruling. Because like you said, fully 12, perhaps even 13, depending on how you look at one of the justices of the 15 uh, member panel said that in, in contrast to the government's, you know, really strident assertion, they said that the court does have the authority to review Israel's quasi-constitutional basic laws, and and this is this is really important because th- this goes to the heart of the whole judicial overhaul, you know, uh, fight which we've seen or we did see uh, up until uh, October seventh, that the government contended that. It had the majority. It was in the majority. The, the majority reflected in the Knesset is the sovereign expression of the people's will. And therefore, really, they can do whatever they like. And furthermore, that the, the court has no right to review those kind of laws. And what the court said was, and this is building on something which the former Supreme Court President Esther Hyatt developed in the nation state law ruling and in other rulings subsequent to that, that there is, in fact, a limit to the Knesset's authority it, um, when passing basic laws, though that limit is only in very narrow circumstances, but there is a limit nonetheless on what it can do. And what Esther Chaut said back in the 2021 ruling on the nation state law, and again in the ruling she handed down yesterday, was that the limit is that the Knesset can't change the fundamental character of Israel as both a Jewish state and a democratic state. When it comes to formulating Israel's constitutional arrangements, that's the red line. That's where it it, it doesn't have free reign. And that's where the court has the uh, authority to say, hold on a minute, you're, you're, you're changing something fundamental to the, to the character of this country as it was envisioned by, the, by its founders, as expressed in the Declaration of Independence and as formulated in some of the basic laws and in precedent in court rulings the, since the country was established. And she said that the reasonableness law um, it, is so uh, kind of indiscriminate and has such blanket uh, application across the board of all government and ministerial decisions that it did damage to the separation of powers. And she said that is, you know, a key aspect of Israel's democratic uh, character. And by damaging that, you damaged Israel's democratic character and therefore the law cannot be allowed to stand. Bira, this decision came down. uh, It was perhaps expected in terms of its end result. First, how was it, first of all, received by politicians? And then we'll talk about the general public. So by politicians. Well, as you said, this was expected, I mean, in two parts. Part one was that the notion between politicians and legislators and law experts was after the September hearing that the job, that the, 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 in all likelihood, 
the court will strike down this uh, amendment to the basic law. Uh, but the second part of it is that a week ago we had a um, we, we had a leak of a, a draft of the decision, so we already knew in a way that the expected result was eight to seven. However, I think what happened yesterday, and it really has to be pointed out, as Jeremy said, was in a way it's almost anecdotal the fact that they struck down the reasonableness clause. Because what was so important and the bigger message of the decision yesterday was the idea that in an overwhelming majority, 12 or perhaps 13 out of the 15 judges are in favor or, or are saying that the Supreme Court has the authority to deal with basic law and even strike it down if, it, if it's appropriate. Now, I think that caught the political system off guard. I don't think, I, I looking and, and seeing how politicians were reacting yesterday, it felt as though they didn't expect this to be like that. They did expect a narrower decision, if you will, that it will be just like the uh, reasonableness clause. It'll be, you know, seven to seven to eight or something like this. The meaning of it, and we have to say this, two of the most liberal judges have just left, which is Esther Chayut and Anat Bron. So theoretically, based on that 8-7, the notion was that, in fact, now we're left with a more right-leaning or more conservative um, Supreme Court, where, in fact, that's not the case. When you look at the those 13-2, you're left with 11-2, and those are, you know, and those are in favor of uh, a more activist, if you will, uh, Supreme Court, that's a very uh, big message. And it, I think that kind of shook a lot of the politicians. There was a report yesterday that the prime minister's office was um, was debriefing um, members of the coalition, uh, members of parliament and ministers, telling them that they should, um, in their interviews and in their reactions, that they should um, go against the Supreme Court on the point that it was publishing this decision during wartime. And, in, and therefore, you could really see like a train of reactions from Likud members and, and ministers in, in, in this coalition saying exactly that. You know, just when we're, we need unity and we're fighting on all fronts, the Supreme Court is separating the country or is being divisive. But the reality of it that when you look between the lines, the bigger message was that the judicial overhaul is dead and, and truly dead and, and the corpse has gone cold and Esther Hayut got the solo at the funeral. You know, I mean, it's like, there's there's no going back to that. And when you look at that, and when you look at the entire year, it's exactly 12 months, you know, Yariv Levin announced his judicial reform, as he called it, on January 4th last year. So exactly a year ago, this entire train started rolling off, you know, it, we, just literally a train rolling off the, the rails, you know. And an entire country was divided, went into... Um, probably the biggest crisis it had since its inception. And all of this, you know, it led to our weakening. And there's no question, and even the IDF spokesman said that yesterday, that this has greatly contributed in in part, at least, to the 7th of October massacre. Um, so you look at that and you're asking yourself a year later, 
What have they accomplished? What did the judicial overhaul accomplish? They haven't had a single law that essentially was passed and and made a, a difference. You know, this, the reasonableness clause was the only law that they actually fully passed, and that was struck down in an overwhelming majority by the Supreme Court. So that's gone. What have they, you know, what have they got to show for for the worst year Israel has ever had? And that was also very clear uh, in some of the uh, reactions on the on the politi- on the among the politicians, because one of the things that a lot of them kept saying was, after the war, we were go- we're going to have to redo this whole thing, but in unity, in agreement, and and in a rational manner. And I think one of the biggest messages to come out of yesterday, both from the reactions and actually from the um, decision itself was that Israel post-October 7th has no place for radical thoughts, has no place for radical, um, for the extremes. The, the ones that are going to make up this country moving forward will have to be the moderates, will have to be the moderates, both right and left, both conservative and liberal. It's the moderates in the Supreme Court that are left now to hold the flag, if you will, and it'll be the moderates in the political system that are left now to rebuild this country. We'll go to a short break. You're listening to this podcast. So I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning, without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. Bira, I wish that the moderates would be the loudest voice that we hear, but we often hear the extremes much more, and we cannot deny that they still exist both in the government and in the country itself. Last week, we started hearing a bit more about the schism, and we had the first political protest on Motzei Shabbat at the end of Shabbat. And Jeremy, you were there. What was the overriding message of that protest in Tel Aviv on the end of Shabbat this Saturday? It was it was very simply that the people there do not trust the government, do not want the government, which presided over the biggest uh, you know security catastrophe in the last. Uh, half century to continue, that they have no faith that the government is, and, and particularly the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, is taking decisions in the national interest and not his own interest. And um, 
and and that they want elections now. That was, you know, that was the overriding message of that uh, of that demonstration. You know, this is in the heart of Tel Aviv, and it wasn't a massive demonstration. I, there were several hundred, you know, uh, perhaps reaching a thousand or so people, and and these were all very. Um, you know, people from the very uh, liberal uh, and left-wing, you know, kind of uh, spectrum of 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 the country. But I think um, it, it was clear that th- there is there is this lack of faith. There, but there's, there was it was also a very kind of somber atmosphere, and there was a certain amount of despondency because even though you know I spoke to a few people and I said, okay, so you want elections now, but what's going to happen after the elections and for all of these people as i said really on the on on, on the more left-wing scale of things people like benny gantz who you know is polling uh you know in, if you look at the polling would be the most likely person to to become the new prime minister they don't like what he has to say either even one person told me that the yeshati chairman yair lapid the head of the opposition uh he's too he, he's too right-wing um for, for their for their tastes so um there is there is a, w- w- among this segment of the population there is a, a certain amount of um you know like i said despondency that th- they don't see the leadership that they would want to really change the paradigm in order to make actual progress on the deeper causes of of what happened on october 7th uh, as they would see it and their desire to to more deeply address those problems specifically the the conflict with the palestinians And of course, Pira, desiring elections doesn't mean that they're going to happen. We're now in one of the more stable coalitions that the country has seen in, I don't know, a decade. You know, I want to tell you something. I live in the, in the south of Tel Aviv in a neighborhood that um, its markup is very right wing and also very uh, religious. Um, I'm You know, in the last elections, I, out of curiosity, I looked at my uh, ballot to see who voted what as far as numbers go. There wasn't a single vote for the left side. No, neither Labour, no Merits got any vote, which tells you I didn't vote for them either. Uh, but uh, the Likud and Shas together out of my ballot would have had a government with 70 seats. Okay, they wouldn't have needed anybody else. So that tells you something about the markup of where I live. And I want to tell you that during this year, we're, you know, at the height of the um, judicial overhaul um, protests and, and bickering and fights, I was a persona non grata. I mean, people wouldn't say hello to me in the elevator. And uh, I walk around with my dog and People would just, you know, I'm not one of them. I was the left wing person from the from the from the building, and everything changed after October 7th. Suddenly, the fact that I'm a journalist made me a mini celeb here. They keep asking me every morning. They keep asking me what's happening in Gaza and, you know, what's happening this and what's happening that. So I I I want to say based on this completely unofficial poll, okay, nobody gives a damn about the reasonableness law. Nobody gives a damn about any of this. What they do feel very strongly is that they are not safe. They've been let down. Even Netanyahu's biggest supporters in my neighborhood get the sense that he overstayed his welcome. To quote one of my religious neighbor who voted Chas, she says so, um, He's a good person and he was a good prime minister, but he, he, he stayed too long and he ruined everything and he really should go home. So I think in, in the sense that when we said to each other, happy new year for 2024, and we said a happier year, you know, a happier new year is just fine than 2023. I'd say that the notion around it is the way I see it, that 
any other government would be better than what we have now. And they will make do. They will make do with Gallant. They will make do with, with, with anybody who just promises them a little bit peace and quiet, a little less rift and, and discourse that will take care of the most basic things that they are bothered with now. They're bothered with the fact that the costs of their food and their fuel is rising. It was, it rose yesterday. They're bothered with the fact that some of them haven't seen their husbands or sons for three months or two months. They're bothered with the fact that every morning they wake up with the news of more soldiers falling. This bothers them. And they lost the trust that this existing government, even if they don't think that they are at fault at what happened, they don't believe that they can fix it. Ironically, yesterday I saw uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, campaign ad, and the slogan was, Israel is moving backwards. And he was talking about the price of food, and he was talking about personal safety, and everything that he blamed on previous governments when he was not in power has actually come true over this past year. Birat, while you're still with me, I would really love it if you would talk about our Uprooted series for a couple of minutes. It's a series that is from Zman Israel, and we are translating select editions into English. So tell us, what is the genesis of this series, and what, what is it? Thank you, I'd love to. Um, we got the notion after October 7th, you know, the first month or, or two were completely consumed by stories of survivors and 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 the families of those who who lost uh, their loved ones on October 7th or families of those whose loved ones were or are still in Gaza. And we felt that there was a neglected crowd. There was a neglected, um, very large group of people in Israel, almost 200,000 people who were uprooted from their housing. They were evacuated for security reasons or because their house was burned down, you know, from both from the north and the south. And they live in hotels or on a bunk bed in a friend's house or, or in some other kibbutz or, or a settlement or whatever it is. And, 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 they lost their lives that day and they don't know when they're going to get it back. And they don't have this crushing story to tell of, you know, of losing their, their husband or, or being, um, being kidnapped. They have a, a story that we can all relate to of being homeless, essentially. So I, I contacted uh, Tamar Morsela, who is a famous journalist in Israel. And what she's famous for is she's very good with monologues. She's very good with listening to people, almost being their psychologist, if you will, sitting with them and following them for hours and there, and then bringing their words in their voice, in their style and telling the story, something that can be as mundane as I miss my coffee machine or something as mundane as saying, I can't stand the smell of the of the laundry in this hotel. I, I miss my own laundry's uh, detergent. Or something like, you know, not seeing, n- not seeing your best friend who lived the door next to you because one of the, one is in Eilat and another is in Yamamelach. All those little things that we can all so relate to that they shouldn't, they, they're not bigger than life. They are life. So, so we set about just really doing that, just finding those people not very hard, again, 200,000 and giving them a monologue and, and getting us the sense and the feeling of what it is like to be both physically and mentally uprooted. 
And the photography, I have to mention, is just beautiful as well. Yes, we selected, we don't normally do this, but I think we splurged this time. We, we, we selected a really good and known uh, pro- portrait uh, photographer, Daphna Telmon. And we, we sent her with, with one, with, with one sentence. We said, capture them. Give us, if, if Tamar's uh, mission is to capture their voice and their story, you need to capture their look and their story. You need to, to do what Tamar does in words. You need to do in your, in, through your lens. And I, I love this series. I, I'm, I'm really, and there are some really, you haven't read all of it yet, Amanda. There are some really good ones coming. I look forward to it. Bira, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>